Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. This week's guest is Max Landry, co-founder and co-CEO of Pepe, a startup that's created a platform to support people through life and family transitions, and that includes having a baby. Max is a successful serial founder with lots of valuable insights to share. In this episode, you'll learn about the importance of balance and empathy in selecting your co-founders, the power of framing in the face of stress, and the key questions to ask when hiring into a startup. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santharasenan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. I'd love to talk to you about the kind of that moment that made you a startup dad, because clearly Pepe has its roots in the experience of what it's like to be a first-time parent. But could you talk to me about your life, I suppose, when you transitioned from dad to startup dad, it sounds like? Yeah, I guess for me that line was kind of fairly blurred because a lot of the kind of early influence for me wanting to do Pepe and us us focusing on the perinatal support that we've gone on to deliver uh, was as a result of becoming a dad. And I mean, you know, the, the bottom line is for my wife and I, it was it was a really challenging period like it is for many new parents. Um, we at first found it very difficult to find the support we needed. I mean, actually, the first problem is you don't know what you don't know what you don't know. So we didn't know what we needed, which made it even more tricky. But once we finally did, we were kind of overwhelmed with, wow, this is what it's like when you get help. Life becomes much easier. Yeah. And, and that was one of, and I say one of because my other founders had their, their moments of inspiration, which were different. But that was really the, the moment for me that said, right, we need to be a company that can provide support for people when they go through these these challenging moments and we need to provide that support in a way that's that's available to everyone so that kind of tradition uh, transition from dad to startup dad it was all sort of one thing um, yeah and it was largely what informed the, the sort of early days of the company one of the things that I always find really impressive when people are parents first is taking that leap so I'm super interested to know from you when you took the leap, you know, how did you make that work? And how did, you know, what were the the real things that you needed to do, the changes you needed to make, you know, because setting up, running a startup is brutal sometimes, right? And so is being a parent, actually. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they both are, they both are. I mean, yeah. I guess they're both wonderfully rewarding, but, but yes. draining things. But I mean, coming back to the startups, I think for me, the single biggest learning that I've had and I say this as someone who's worked in a few companies that I've started over the years, is you've just got to have founders that have, or co-founders with you, that have complementary skills. So if I look at my own skill set, I'm really, really good at a very, very narrow set of things. And I'm really, really mediocre at lots of other things. Now, you just can't build great companies with with mediocre skill sets. So you need to have founders with you whose skills complement your skills so that collectively you've got that kind of exceptional set of skills that get you through that first first stage. And for me, I know I wouldn't be in this position without the the incredible skill sets of my two founders, Evan and Rajula. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so true. And I don't know whether you always knew you always knew that or thought thought about that, but certainly I look back on HX's success and realize how how much value there comes from exactly as you say the complementary skills. Because I think founders are generally often great at a couple of things and absolutely crap at lots of other things, right? And I think in the thick of it, sometimes you don't realize how important that relationship is and being able to fill out the gaps in each other. You also need to have founders that are understanding about what it's like to be a parent. And, mm. you know, the, the truth is being a parent, particularly to a very young child, is, is difficult and requires flexibility. I think I'm lucky in that my two founders, my two co-founders, well, they both have kids of their own, which means that they're aware of what it's like. Uh, and the three of us are all a bit older than your average startup founders, which I just think gives you a bit more... When you've just had a little bit more life experience, you, I think it's easier to focus on what's important, accept situations as they are, and, and support each other, I think. But, I, but I, again, I feel, I feel very lucky that I've been in that environment with the people I've been with. To me, that really touches on the, the kind of importance of knowing what you can change and what's worth stressing out about. That took me a long time to realize and to learn to not stress out or to try and at least try and not stress out about things that actually I can't change. Yeah, I mean, this is the one of the, the sort of tenets of stoicism, isn't it? Uh, yes. Can you, can you stop worrying about the things that are out of your control? Well, if you can, good for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah, think exactly. it's something we can all practice more. I'm certainly trying to practice it. But look, something like that is certainly, it's a practice, isn't it? And the better, you, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And ultimately, uh, that enables you to just focus on things you can control. And ultimately, that, that's where you want to be. For sure, for sure. Second child, second daughter, four weeks old. You're still smiling. Um, what, have, what did you learn, I suppose, from the first time round that's helped you prepare for this time round? God, the honest answer is I, and I think this is sort of human nature, I've kind of forgotten what it was like. Uh, <laughs> So I'm not so sure I had that many tips that I'd learned first time around that I'm now applying. You're probably a bit more relaxed second time around mm. just because you have a greater sense of what you're getting in for. Um, but look, the, re the reality is having a young baby is really difficult and it's exhausting. And even if you have a huge amount of support, which I'm fortunate to have, it's still really tiring. It's both that combination of not having much sleep and the, just the huge responsibility of having someone very young to look after. And yeah. if you're trying to balance that with a job that is very, very demanding, pulling you in lots of directions, often unstructured, and you know, if you're unlucky, can become stressful. So what's your approach to making it work? Because you know, when I love to talk to founders about the different ways they partition their work and life. Because, you know, you have some people who are very kind of clear boundaries set. You've got some people who are a lot more fluid about mixing the two. Um, yeah, how have you made it work? I mean, God, one thing I, one thing I do is whenever I feel... I, I have this kind of belief that you're, when you're having a lot on your plate, it's either got to be exciting or it's going to be stressful. You're going to be in one of those two kind of buckets if you've got more than you can deal with and often I think mm. as a new parent you have more than you can deal with and in a startup that's scaling you have more than you can deal with so it's either going to be exciting or stressful so I've made a decision that I'm going to treat all of this as exciting that's point one uh, and, it, and it is exciting you know I'm, it's a great privilege to have children so that's 
you have to view it as exciting. And and similarly, it's it's a great privilege to have started a company that's successful and is growing quickly and that people want to work with. So if you can start with the mindset of this is good, you're lucky, then that, then that certainly makes it all easier. Um, I, also, I also remember the advice my dad gave me about a year ago. Uh, I'm 42. And my dad just said to me, look, you've got to realize you're basically at the most difficult time in your life. Everything's difficult. You're trying to build your family. You're trying to build your company. Everything's tough. Just, just start with recognizing that and then everything will be easier. And I, th I think that's true. The kind of textbook answer, I guess, to your question, though, would be around organization, discipline and, uh, and prioritization. And I think I, like many people in my position, is trying to be as best as I can at those three things. But, you know, were, were I perfecting them, then I would be, you know, invincible. <laughs> I definitely haven't perfected them yet. But, you know, I think I think a rigorous focus on prioritization is has got to be up there. The reality is most of us do lots of things that are of secondary importance. And if we can kind of drill in every morning, this is what's important today. Uh, yeah. which again I say I'm not sure I'm doing that very effectively but I'm trying that would be the single takeaway I think yeah yeah for the record I love both your answers I think framing is actually something that isn't talked about very much with founders I think it's a really important thing uh, and I came to this realization actually when I was at a really low point a few months ago that it can be really hard to choose to see things in a positive light. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult to actually choose. But if you can frame things, I love that kind of taxonomy of is it exciting or stressful? Because often it's both of those things, but the different way you look at it can make things feel much, much more doable. Yeah, 100%. And so one of the things we, I mean, one, one of the biggest challenges that anyone in a company like ours is facing is recruitment. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult to recruit good people quickly. It's really difficult to scale your team so that you preserve your culture uh, and it's really difficult to become a good manager very very quickly that's just yeah. that's Hard. just the nature of it so then how do you go about recruiting people that have that sort of same mindset of of trying to get in the excited mode rather mm. than the, uh, rather than the stressful mode and it's it's challenging but one of the things that we certainly look for and we're explicit about is people's ability to uh, or desire to be out of their comfort zone. So we would say, let's imagine, Amrit, you are coming for an interview at Pepe. I would be saying to you, look, are you someone who's comfortable being outside your comfort zone? If you're not, then this is not the right place for you, and that's fine. It doesn't mean you're not a highly competent, exceptional person. Um, but for you to work here with us, in reality, that's one of the qualities we need because we just don't know what's going to happen. And if, if you can be outside of your comfort zone and you suddenly find that exciting, that's very powerful. You're likely to grow as an individual. We're likely to give you more trust. We're likely to give you more responsibility. You're likely to, uh, you're likely to grow as a, as a person and within the organization. But if that feels that it makes you nervous or stressful, you're better off working somewhere else. And that can be done in a way that's with complete respect because it's not necessarily uh, a reflection of your competency you might be more competent than anyone in the company, but it's just on your characteristics, your your where, where and how you want to work. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's a fascinating axis, isn't it? Because I think 
there's lots of different categorizations of people's ability to perform at work. And the one that I like to use is that kind of capability, motivation and empowerment. The capability, having the skill set is super important, but being motivated by the things that are going to happen in a startup, it's very different from the environment that you're going to have in a corporate or a non-high growth business. You've uh, picked up on something uh, which is super powerful, super important. Another one that I think is really important is optimism because lots of shit is going wrong all the time. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Uh, in the startup. I hope my clients aren't listening to this. Uh, but it's not going wrong at your company, just <laughs> no, everyone no, else's. Everyone else's, that's right, exactly. But you know, and if you can't go, okay, you know what? Well, I've just got to, I, it is, but lots is great actually, in the grand scheme of things, and we're doing something great. And, you know, you've got to break eggs to make an omelette, right? And, it, you know, if you can be optimistic about what's happening, uh, it's an incredibly powerful uh, thing. And it's not easy to sustain that, I don't think, but it's still, it's so important. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I mean, look, the reality is when you're starting a company, you are creating something from nothing. And it's extremely difficult to get that sort of energy and momentum that eventually becomes... A successful company and if you don't have a kind of element of often mindless uh, optimism then you're not going to get anywhere because you get so many knocks or the the difference between what you think will happen what does happen the time you think it takes to make that happen and how long it really takes to make that happen the impact of what you do in the first instance versus uh, what you thought would happen these are all you know they're big big gaps between each of them and unless you have some sense of optimism and confidence that you'll get there um, it's just not worth it because I mean in our company we worked year one without any pay that's challenging for anyone um, I had a, a my first baby at the time so I had to believe and I did believe at times naively probably that we were onto something but without that sort of sheer optimism, you just wouldn't do it because the, you know, the reality is the stats uh, against you. You know, most startups don't succeed. That's the re that's the unfortunate reality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd actually like to circle back to the talent um, uh, point because I think it's one of the most topical things in the world right now. Right, everyone's talking about the great resignation. The the war for talent and particularly in the startup world where, you know, we haven't seen this much money being pumped into the startup ecosystem for, well, you know, in, in recent history. I'm really interested to know whether, I suppose, the experiences you've had as parents and how, how well, how the experiences you've had as parents and being parents before startup founders have influenced the culture of Pepe uh, and whether that's been something you've been able to weaponize. So I think a few things have influenced. So one, we take maternity and paternity leave more seriously than I think, you know, three mm. founders who are 22 who haven't had kids and don't know anyone with kids would do because we recognize it's difficult. I think that certainly enables us to attract a certain caliber of person. You rightly said it's a kind of war for talent at the moment and that's on every front. So you need, what do you need? You need to pay well. So we always try and pay as well as we can you need to have the benefits that people actually want. So we give private health care, we give generous policies for paternity and maternity, and we try and just be flexible. Now, what we're not flexible on is performance. We expect really high performance. What we are fairly flexible on is how you deliver 
so from our point of view, we, we feel strongly that if you're going to create a high-performing culture, you need to have trust that you fundamentally can't have people moving fast, breaking things if they don't feel trusted. So they're the kind of qualities we're trying to embed. But yeah, yeah I think the short answer is yes. Being a company that takes these issues seriously is seen to, to support people, ultimately is better at attracting good people. When the way you're framing that is great because it sounds it, it comes across as really obvious to you. There are lots of companies that don't do that though, which is really amazing, isn't it? And again, I often joke it's great for for us when people don't do those things because they make it easier for us to hire, and it's bloody hard to hire right now. So, yeah, yeah, no, for for sure. I mean, I think what are your levers uh, in terms of getting people to come and work for you? Well, one is money, uh, one is your mission. So we have a a fairly attractive mission because we're helping mm. people and you know we're we're known to have big impact on people's lives so that's that's powerful and then how do you treat people people want to be treated like grown-ups so we often say in interviews uh, Pepe is a startup run by grown-ups uh, and we think if you treat people like grown-ups in every sense you get the best out of them uh, but as I said before it's, it's not an environment for everyone because we have a very very high performing culture where people are given a lot of bandwidth and a lot of freedom, uh, but they're expected to deliver. So mm. that doesn't work for everybody. If you want to be completely handheld, you, this wouldn't be a good company for you. But if you want to grow as an individual, you're not scared of asking for help when you need it, you're willing to put yourself in a position where you maybe experience some discomfort, but you recognize that that's a sort of path for you growing individually, then this is a really, a really great place for people to work and we will pay you well. You've been a founder before. You've had some a great journey on your path to setting up Peppy. What lessons carried over from your previous experience as a founder and what's been new, I suppose, is the flip side of that. It's again around prioritization. What do you need to prove at each point? You know, when you have an idea and you're exploring it, it's all good and well that people like it. Will people buy it? If no one will buy your idea, it's going to be difficult to turn it into a business. Yeah. So just having that brutal honesty with yourself, there's, there's nothing worse than wasting your time. So I think there's, I can't remember who said it, but fail quickly. You'd rather fail quickly than, than draw something out for, for a long time. Just be honest with yourself about what you're good at, what you want to be good at, what you're willing to do, and fill the gaps. Mm. I mean, we had, we had a moment, probably about a year or something in, one of my colleagues, Evan, just was very, very clear that what we were doing at that moment just wasn't working. And he sort of sat Medulla and I down and said, right, we need to really think about this. This process isn't working. What can we, what can we do to improve it? And the reality is it's having those tough decisions with yourself and forcing yourself to come up with better ideas, forcing yourself to find better ways of working, and then really, really going for it. That's what makes a company great. Flogging a dead horse if what you're doing isn't quite working is uh, is ultimately draining and ultimately is not going to lead to you having something that works. No, for sure. I'd love to hear about one of Pepe's offerings, which is a men's health service, not something that's heard about very often. Um, I'd love to understand a little bit about your experiences kind of as a dad, how that drove this. And one thing I'm always interested in is product design, right? So there's sometimes, you know, in certain circumstances like this, it's a very relatable thing 
uh, and it's kind of almost like, you know, inspiration or experience-led product design. So can you talk to us a little bit about that side of what Pepe does? Okay, so, um, yeah, so a bit of history. Our first product we launched was Pepe Baby, which is perinatal support. So that's providing people with uh, support for the last trimester. So that's months seven, eight, and nine, helping you prepare for birth. And then the first nine months of being a parent. So that's what you typically cover off, you know, feeding, sleeping, uh, weaning, and routine. If you kind of get those four things right, you, you're as, you've got as good a start as anyone, right? It doesn't get, it's never easy, but that helps. Uh, our second service was menopause, which is supporting the, the perimenopause, which is this uh, kind of five to seven, Three, sorry, three to five years either side of a menopause. The average menopause occurs at 51 uh, in the UK. Then our third service was fertility, which is supporting people through everything from, you know, we're trying to conceive through to we're trying to go through an active intervention like IVF through to, you know, maybe that's not worked. What are my options? Adoption, surrogacy, etc. We kept getting asked by people, what are you doing for men? What are you doing for men? And despite our protestations that lots of these services are, you know, for men as well, you know, most obviously baby, you know, men have babies too, uh, you know, and if we're serious about tackling things like the gender pay gap, then, you know, it's pretty clear we need to start treating babies as both men and women's responsibility and not just women's. Um, but it did become pretty clear that there was, there was something to be done around men's health. And once we started digging into this, we realized that the kind of health inequalities for men are just appalling. So I'll just give you some some scary stats as a young man. Um, you look you look younger than me. <laughs> but, uh, That's very kind. But, uh, <laughs> but they'll get to you eventually, these stats. So, uh, you know, the, the big bad one is basically 20% of men die before they retire, right? Wow. That's a huge number. Really, really big number. Oh my God. Very, very scary. And half of those deaths are avoidable. So that's the problem we're trying to address. And we know all of the kind of classic problems with men. You know, we don't want to go to the GP. We don't want to talk about things in a way because we feel embarrassed. We don't want to do things publicly. All of this stuff that just makes it hard for men to engage with healthcare. You then start to look at things like the number of GP appointments that a man and a woman will have over the course of their kind of 20s and 30s. And on average, a woman will see a GP twice the number of times that a man will. Now, there are a number of reasons for that, but not least, you know, a woman might be getting contraception, she might be having various smear tests, she might be doing all these things that just create a relationship with healthcare that just don't exist for men in the same way. So basically you have equal, uh, equal usage of doctors as kids, boys and girls, and then it's equal again when we're very old and we're, you know, ill. Uh, but it's that middle gap where basically take up for men drops off. And so this is, this is the time when men suffer from lots of issues. And so our service is designed to get in there, help men get advice very quickly and early and give them advice and support in a way that's accessible, private, anonymous in their hand. All the things that we know make it easier for men to access support and delivered to men in a tone that's appropriate for men. So everything we do, we're trying to be tonally correct. That's fascinating. I suppose that's one of those things about getting the messaging right, because if you have a really great idea, but you know you can't convince people to actually accept it or buy it, but if you can't get the idea to stick, it's not effective. So that's a really fascinating side of things. Just sort of telling men to go to the doctor, it, it hasn't worked ever. That is not no. going to start working. So we need to try and find a way of engaging with men that 
is kind of coming to them on their terms. So at a high level, that's what we're trying to do with all our services. So we want to come to you uh, in a way that you're comfortable with and on your terms and your language, because we feel that's a way you're much more likely to engage with us and ultimately therefore get the help that you need. That's really, really powerful. Can I ask actually, Max, so related to this, one thing that I found is that uh, it's, uh, and I'm interested because this is obviously Pepe is such a personal, uh, personally motivated thing, like lots of startups are. But as Pepe has grown and clearly you've had a great run, the co-founders inevitably get a little bit further away from the kind of product design of the business. Has the kind of motivation that you had for Pepe kept you closer to the product design than maybe it would have been if it were, you know, Ajax is an enterprise technology firm. It's easier for me to step away from the uh, the product side. It's, I, I'm not saying it's easy, but easier, I imagine, than it would be for something where the mission is so close to your heart. Yeah, good question. So, I mean, the honest answer is that uh, Evan, my co-founder, leads our product and is all over it. So he's kind of obsessed with health tech, with health, with health optimization, with everything to do with health. He, he ultimately manages the product team and he's obsessive about it and I think like anything if you want to make something really 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 good someone needs to be obsessing over how to make it really good and someone needs to own it to love it and to be passionate about it so in our company that's his job one of his jobs it's almost like not even have the choice to love it it's just being obsessed about it right yeah yeah and that's a really interesting distinction so it's not like a job in that respect so someone who is obsessing about something just wants to make it better they're thinking about it they're thinking about it the weekend they're thinking about it when they wake up in the night they're using these services themselves it's a 24 7 obsession and it's that that leads to this improvement as well as listening to what your customers say, listening to what your users say, getting feedback, being open to feedback, letting yourself be challenged, all of that stuff too. Well, well Max, I want to, before we wrap up, I'm really uh, keen to ask you the, the big question, which is what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids? Not kidding yourself is the, is the single biggest lesson. I mean, the number of times people say, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I work at a company that does this. And they say, oh, wow, that's really interesting. You know, what do you do there? And I say, oh, I'm one of the founders. And they say, wow, amazing. I want to be a founder. I've always dreamed of having my own company, being in control, you know, choosing your own hours, blah, blah, blah. And people have this kind of wildly uh, (laughs) idealistic view of what being a startup founder is like. And it's often not quite as glamorous as people think. you know, and we tend to celebrate the successes we see when people get funding rounds, when people grow quickly, when, you know, big client wins, etc. But the reality is the grind to get you to that point uh, is is really, really difficult. And uh, so I would want my children to just be aware of that and not kid themselves. Um, I would encourage them to start and try and do anything they can. Yeah, and also to just recognise that if things go well, just recognise the good fortune that if it if it works, it's you know it's often often the wind is blowing in the right direction as well. For sure, and I think I often think about this as part of the motivation for setting up startup dads. Actually, is that you know it would be really great if you could have like anti Twitter or anti Instagram, which just posted all the boring grindy bits 
a startup life rather than the woo hundred million dollar Series C or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know, t- today I sat on a crappy client call, sales call, and no one wanted to listen to me. Again, so, you know, again, that's <laughs> yeah. it. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure it'd be very interesting, but it certainly made me feel better from time to time. Yeah, I think I think it's easy to glamorize stuff, and you know, once once you're kind of a little bit developed and you've got a kind of successful business it's it's easy to forget that there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles you've gone through to get there and you've had to try a lot of things lots of things haven't worked and one shouldn't ignore that challenge i guess so that would be my message to my kids just just recognize what you're getting in for and if you want to do it go for it but go all in find people that you know complement your skill set uh be honest with yourself about what's working and what isn't working uh and believe in yourself because Anyone can make this work, but you will need you will need uh, a bit of luck as well. That's absolutely the name of the game is being a startup dad, I think, isn't it? So that's a great way to wrap up. But before we go, uh, Max, we like to close the show with our segment Startup Shoutouts, where we shine some light on some entrepreneurs, startups, founders, anyone in the startup ecosystem uh, that we really like. Startup Shoutouts. So who are your Startup Shoutouts, Max? I'd like to do two, actually. So one is a company called Matchable, which my friend uh, Fung set up. Matchable works to take skills that exist in large companies and then pairs them with charities. And then they then do work to do projects to support high impact projects in charities. I think she's doing an incredible job. So have a look at that. If you're interested, it's Matchable. Uh, And another is uh, where a friend of mine, Ed, works, a company called Loop. And Loop is producing reusable packaging. So you can get your goods from a supermarket and then they come, you give the, the packaging back and you get them again, the goods in the packaging. So you're not having all of this single-use plastic. Uh, and I just think that's, that's the way we've got to be in the future. I'm shocked every time I look in my recycling and just see all this plastic and think, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, those are two awesome causes. And I think, again, having kids is a really good way of shifting your time horizon to the future and thinking about the consequences of what we're doing. And, uh, you know, my wife is really into recycling and making it being environmentally friendly. And it's something that, uh, and the good news is often when you think about a problem like that, there's a great founder, determined founder out there trying to solve the problem. And it's great to hear and people are fixing it. Max, look, that's been an amazing show. Again, four week old, thank you so much for coming on the show. I admire the optimism and energy that you brought to the show today. It's been absolutely brilliant. How can we find out a little bit more about you, uh, uh, about what you and Peppy are doing? If you want to find out about what we do as Peppy, uh, you can Google Peppy Health uh, and we, you will find us pretty easily. Uh, our domain is peppy.health or if you go on LinkedIn, uh, you'll find us. Yeah, and you can get in touch with me via LinkedIn and yeah, happy to talk to anyone. Brilliant. Thanks, Max. Thanks a lot. That's great. Thank you, Amrit. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 